All right. Um, we are continuing in our sermon series. If you have not been here for a bit, um, and you, you're, maybe you're not familiar with what we have been diving into in Scripture, um, we have been studying the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is arguably one of the most dense books in all of the Bible, in that um, if you, as by virtue of studying the book of Romans, because it's so rich and full, you and I end up gaining an understanding of the entirety of the Bible by studying this book. And so we've been taking our time going through these chapters because uh, so as to not do a disservice to these verses and just kind of gloss through them. And today, I want to draw your attention to the verses that we're going to spend time in. I'm not over-promising. I actually feel like I'm under-promising what I'm about to say right now. These verses contain within them truths that can change your life. They're changing mine. As I've read these verses, studied them, prepared to preach, sat with them, the things that God has to say to us are life-changing. So I really want you to lean in, especially now, we're going to read these verses. I want you to hear what God is speaking to us because there are some tremendous things that are mind-blowing and life-altering that are said to us from God's word. Romans chapter 7, verse 13 and onward says this, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law then. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name under your lordship with your people. And Father, we thank you that you desire to speak to us today from your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts, give us ears and eyes, Lord, to fully capture what you're trying to speak to us. Give us soft hearts. To receive your word and we thank you for all that you desire to do this morning in us in Jesus name amen and amen now 
Verse 13 picks up, it's kind of, if you don't know the context, what it's saying actually doesn't land as powerfully because it begins with this question, did that which is good then bring death to me? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the previous verses where we looked at this relationship that we have with the law of God. Last week we talked about that whenever the law of God, his commandments um, hit our souls and we become aware of them, that we have this visceral like reaction, it's, it's, it's automatic, where when God tells us to do something, the automatic response from us is to say no. That there's this inbuilt auto response inside of us. So, so when it says that that which is good, the law, then bring death to me. So he's saying the law brought death to me, but it's good. So he's kind of wrestling with this idea of like, how did something that was good bring death to me? Because he explains this experience of when God tells us something and we react in the opposite way, we react in disobedience, it brings death. And so he's wrestling with this idea of if the law is good, why is it bringing death to me? But he goes into something that's quite profound in response to that. How many have ever had the experience of you have to endure a social setting? Let me be more specific. Um, Thanksgiving's coming up. And for some of us, we can't wait. But then for some of us, we know there's going to be some things that we have to endure. We have to endure that uncle that refuses to read the room. And no, we don't want to talk about politics right now. Or we have to, refu- we have to endure that cousin that is just really challenging to be around. Or we have to endure the fact that for some of us, there's family dynamics. It's just like, we're going to gather around this table and we're going to ignore the elephant in the room of stuff that's unresolved and stuff that we keep sweeping under the rug. Um, enduring social settings can be challenging. Um, it, it, it's, you could be in a work assignment at, at the job and you're like, oh man, this team dynamic is difficult. Uh, but what do we do normally when we are in a difficult situation like that to get us through? Most of the time we, we look to the exit. We say, well, it's just one dinner. Or this team is tough, but this project is going to be over soon and I won't have to endure it. It, we, we have a different posture, a different relationship with something that's challenging if it's temporary. But how do you relate to something that's not temporary, but it's long term? And so, like, take, for example, someone come crashes at your place. They're like, hey, I'm just going to be here for a couple of days. And out of the kindness of your heart, you're like, sure, absolutely. But you, you know it's going to be an inconvenience. You know it's going to be awkward. Now more people are sharing the limited space that we have, and, and, and they're going to feel awkward. And you're going to spend all this energy saying, no, 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 be comfortable. And you really mean that, and you want that. But the reality is this small apartment isn't built for this many people, and now it's just it's intense. But what do you do in your mind? You say, this is temporary. This is going to be fine. Let's get through it. But you take on a different posture if, oh, they're not leaving anytime soon. Now we have to figure, we have to talk. We have to have some honest conversations about boundaries and chores. Why I'm framing that in our minds is because when it comes to sin, 
it's very easy for us to think of sin as something that shows up sporadically. It's like a visitor where it, like, oh, sin just happened. And what, what do we do? We confess it. We ask God to forgive us. We repent of it. He forgives us. And then it's like, ah, sin was sleeping on my couch, but it was just for the weekend. Now it's gone. It, you know, it's just back. It's, it's not there. It's visiting. It's a, it's a thing that shows up. It's here now. It's gone later. But what Paul tells us about sin that's very important for us to take note of is that, yes, sin it can be confessed and repented of. In fact, we read earlier in Romans that we died to sin, that we've been set free from sin. But we're also hearing today that sin dwells in us. Did you know that? Sin actually is dwelling inside of you and I right now. It's really comfortable inside of you. It's always there. It's there when you're grocery shopping. It's there when you're in a conversation. Here's the crazy thing. It's there even when you're not sinning. Like you don't have to be actively lying or actively hurting somebody or, or being in active pride or dismissing somebody selfishly or you don't have to be doing any of that stuff for sin to be present. You could be waking up Sunday morning, reading your newspaper, having fun, like looking forward to the day, harming nobody. And guess what? Sin is right there dwelling in us. That's absolutely mind blowing. If you think about that, sin dwells in us. In fact, we're told that it not only like dwells in us, like theoretically, it it dwells in our members, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sin dwells within us. This might be really helpful to answer the question that some of us struggle with where out of nowhere you, you just exploded in anger. Out of nowhere, you didn't even see it coming, but then just the day came and then you just gave in to this behavior, this action that you really detest and you really don't like. And you've said to God over and over again, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to walk in this. You've forgiven me. You set me free from it. It's in my past. And yet it happens. And all of a sudden you're like, how did that happen? Where, where did that come from? Came out of nowhere. The answer is, it was dwelling inside of us all along. The capacity to be proud is inside of us all along. The capacity to be lustful inside of us all along. To be bigoted, it's inside of us all along. It's always there. So we have to develop a different relationship, understanding with sin, because it's not visiting. 
It's not here just for the weekend. This type of sin that it's being described, this is not something that you can repent of and it goes away. You don't ask God to forgive you of this and it's lifted. No, even as you ask God to forgive you for the sinful acts that we commit, we're also having to face the fact that outside of the sins that I commit, there's sin that dwells in me. And it's always there. Some of you didn't know that you have never gone to a party just by yourself. You've always had a plus one. You could literally write that on your wedding invitation. Who are you coming? Me and the sin that dwells in me. You know, like it, it's there always. You're never alone. Like I'm lonely. No, you're not. You're never alone. Sin dwells in you. It's living inside of you. It's inside of me. This changes how we have to relate to sin, and it should change something else. It should produce a greater degree of honest humility in us, in that if you and I recognize that sin dwells in us, then it shouldn't be that much of a reach for us to admit that we actually have the capacity to do some really broken things. In other words, we should be less defensive if someone points something out about us, we should be less defensive if we say, you know, given the fact that sin dwells in me, I might disagree at the moment, but I'm not going to fully rule it out. That could be true because sin dwells in me. Remember when I was a kid, I did this thing, um, which I really, really badly regret. Um, at the, in the apartment building that we lived in, it was on 47th Street and 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. And it was right on the avenue. And there was the outward facing door that faces the avenue. And then when you came in that door, mailboxes, and then there was another door that you had to open before you can get in the actual building where all the apartments were. So within those two doors, it kind of was like an echo chamber. Like the, the acoustics there were amazing. We used to go there and rap and do this other stuff as kids and make beats. Neighbors hated it because it was just very, very loud. I threw firecrackers in that hallway. This was early 90s. My neighborhood was not great at that time. This is like pre-bike lane New York, you know? Like, it, there weren't cupcake shops at that time. It was the hood. And so I threw these firecrackers in there, and that enclosed thing, it sounded like machine gun fire. And so this poor woman, who I really deeply loved, um, an elderly woman, her name is Digna, in the back uh, apartment, we were apartment four, she was apartment two, in the, toward the back, she hit the deck. She thought it was like a Compton drive-by shooting. And so she bruised her knee. I found out afterwards I felt terrible. This all happened while my mom was grocery shopping. And when she comes in, guess what she sees? There's like four or five cop cars in front of the house because they called the cops. They thought there was machine gun fire. And as she's walking past the cops, she has this thought and says, this could have been Christian. Funny thing is, someone asked her, said, hey, what's going on? Is, is your son around? This wasn't him. And she said, no, it wasn't him. But deep down inside, she said, it could have been, it could have been him. And as soon as she walks in, she's like, hey, you okay? And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, mom, it's crazy. You see what happened? 
It's just like, it was like machine gun fire. It's crazy, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything. I think it's fine. She's, she's putting on the groceries slowly, indulging, listening. And then all of a sudden she's like, did you do this? And I didn't have a chance to like be in full character. She saw me flinch. She was like, you did it. I know you did it. And then I'm like, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. You hurt Digna. You know, so all this other stuff happened. I love the fact, when I think about that, that my mom had an honest appraisal of my capacity. She, she would have defended me, but deep down inside, she was like, I can't deny that he has that capacity. For some of us, this reality that sin dwells in you, I hope it softens the edges for some of us and helps us realize that it's okay to admit that we have the capacity to do some really broken things because sin dwells in us. Sin dwells in us. But what's interesting is that the passage doesn't just tell us that sin dwells in us. It also tells us that we have two natures dwelling within us. Two natures that are dwelling within us. Look at what it says. It says in verse 23, well, let's read verse 22 and then verse 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So it's saying inside of me, in my inner being, there's a part of me that delights in the law of God. But also inside of me, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And early on, as we read, Paul is describing this incredible dynamic experience inside of us where he says, Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. How many feel like so seen when you hear those words? Someone said, it's like a direct quote, like I don't understand myself. I don't know what I'm doing. Paul is saying, I don't understand my own actions. Why? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's describing this inner dynamic and tension that exists in all of us who are followers of Jesus. And that is that now we no longer just have a sinful nature inside of us that all it wants to do is reject God and resist God and say no to God. But now in Christ, we have this renewed in Jesus come alive spirit that all it wants to do is agree with God and delight in God's law and obey God. And this is happening inside of us all the time. No wonder we need therapy. Like this is happening inside of us all the time. This war that's waging within between these two natures. You know, if we were somewhere in the south or deep in the woods and there was a bunch of mud and all of a sudden we saw a pig and a lamb rushing toward the mud and if they got covered in the mud for a second, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the pig and the lamb because they're both covered in the mud. But give it time and you'll see the big difference in their natures. Because the pig, when it falls in the mud, It wallows in it. It stays there. It feels at home. The lamb, when it falls in the mud, it cries because it wants the dirt off of it. It's not its nature to wallow. Inside of us, 
the sinful nature, all it wants to do is wallow in the sin. It wants to stay bound to the old master that we've been set free from, that we died to. It wants to stay in that relationship forever and ever. It constantly wants to feed its appetites. It's waging war. And then there's this other nature inside of us that when we sin, it weeps. It says, this is not me. This is not who I am anymore. This is not who Jesus has made me to be now. I don't, I don't want this. Deep down inside, I don't want this. That dynamic tension is what we're seeing being described in these verses for us. For some of us, this might be what a relief to know that your experience of this wrestling and this tension is not due to the fact that you're just like a weak Christian and, and you, you need to mature. No, this is not a description of an immature Christian. This is a description of a real Christian, of a maturing Christian. Paul, the apostle, is saying this is his experience. He's describing his own experience and putting it forward to us saying, hey, this is actually our experience that we have these two natures inside of us, that sin is not just something that shows up and, and is present and leaves. When we confess, it goes away, but sin actually dwells in us. It's, we're carrying it all the time. And so for some of us, this very moment, before we say anything else, could lift a weight off your shoulders to hear that this tension, this wrestling that you've been experiencing is not because of some default, like defect in you, in your walk. It's actually part of the terrain. This is part of the journey for us. Yes, we've been set free from sin. Yes, Jesus is always, his predisposition is always going to be to forgive and, and free us from it. But also, sin dwells in us, and we wrestle against the sin nature constantly because we have this God nature inside of us through Christ. But notice something else that it says that's absolutely liberating. Paul uses this, this phrase that I think we should really pay attention to. He says, in verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul is saying that it's not him that is doing the sin, but sin that dwells in him. That's kind of mind-bending. Like, what actually are you saying there, Paul? Are you saying that you're not responsible for your sin? Like, if, you, if Paul was walking with us today and, you know, hanging out in Astoria, and then Paul just turns to one of us and smacks us, it's like, Paul, why'd you do that? He's like, not me, man, sin in me. You know, like, is that what he's saying? You know, like, hey, you just cut me off on the Van Wick, Paul. Not me, man, sin in me. Like, is he saying that sin is responsible and he has no responsibility. I ask that. It's a legit question because uh, sometimes we can confuse the two. Uh, not so long ago, um, we, it was a Saturday. We did a bunch of laundry in our, in our family and we, we left it piled up, walked away for a moment, 
with the intention of coming back to then put it away. All the kids put it away in their rooms. Um, bad mistake because in that moment we walked away, Michael had an energy burst, and then we come back and laundry's toppled over. Now, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? We have six people in our house. You know, these aren't like little hills of laundry. These are mountains. It's like, like a mountain, Grand Canyon. You're like, oh, wow. And all toppled away. Come back, and I, I, Michael, what did you do? It's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> like, stone face. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Who, who are we raising here? Like, this is bad. Like, he's, this is like, he's legit staring me in the eye saying, I didn't do it. It was him, nobody else. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't do it? And he, dead face, said, gravity did it. I said, what? He said, gravity is pulling everything toward the ground. Always. It's pulling you right now to the ground. Me. Gravity pulled the laundry to the ground. So now I'm entertained. And now I'm like, wait, so you're saying that the laundry was there and you witnessed it, gravity acting on it, independently from you, and it just toppled over. He said, well, gravity seemed to be triggered when I ran near the laundry. It's like, so it wasn't gravity, my man, it was you. You did this. Paul is not saying sin in me in this way, like I'm not responsible, but here's what he is saying that's absolutely mind-blowing. He's saying that there's a clear distinction between you and sin. He's saying it's not me who did this or is doing this. It's sin. You know what that means from God's perspective? That when he looks at you and I, he doesn't conflate sin and us as the same thing. He sees sin as completely distinct from you and I. And he sees us as completely distinct from sin. Why is that important to understand? Because sometimes we confuse the fact that God's anger towards sin, we confuse it and think it's directed at us. That God's wrath towards sin is also directed toward us. But what God is letting us know that no, he sees sin and us as completely distinct. And that's why he has the capacity to love us while at the same time hate sin. If we were one and the same, the moment he hated sin, he would be hating us. But Paul is saying, it's not me who, who's, who's describing the, the origin of this wrestling and the state of being. It's like, it's sin in me. It's not me. It's sin in me. He's, he's creating this distinction. There, I am not my sin. That alone, if we process that and receive that, can set us free from so much shame and guilt. And, and make us, it makes us trepidatious to come before the presence of God when we think that we are our sin. That we think that God sees us and says, you, you are your anger. You are your pride. You are your vindictiveness. You are your pettiness. You are those things that you hate. That Paul says, I hate these things, but I keep doing them. God's saying, you are not those things. You're my child. I love you. Yes, I hate the sin, but I love you. They are not one and the same. 
Imagine if that would truly get inside our hearts. Just that truth. That God is never angry at me, even when he's angry at sin. That God is never rejecting me, even when he's rejecting and judging sin. The good news for us is that even when you sin, you can still boldly come before God's presence and expect him to treat you in love. Because again, he's not treating you the way he treats sin. They're not one and the same for him. I remember I heard the story of a friend of mine, his wife, she was leading this big Bible study um, like a Saturday morning with a bunch of women and, and she was teaching and their youngest was very, very attached. And so um, like you, you took the baby away and, and so like people tried it cause she's going to teach. I was like, look, I'm fine. I'll just teach with the baby. So like women are really amazing. And so she's like, they're teaching. Cause let me tell you, if I had to teach with a baby, it ain't going to happen. And so you're like, so she's teaching while she's holding the baby, doing an amazing job. And while she's teaching, the baby throws up all over. And she didn't skip a beat. She kept teaching. But here's one thing she also didn't do. She didn't say, get this disgusting baby off of me. <laughs> she, she still loved the baby, even though the baby just created a lot of mess. When I think about that story, I think about how God, when he sees the difference between our sin and us, be very clear in your mind. God will always hold you even though we make all this mess. And he doesn't like the mess. The mess is, needs to be corrected, cleaned up. But you and I will never be discarded in the process. He's still holding us. As we close, I want to walk us through some things very quickly, some application. If we actually accept these things, believe these things, walk in them, here are some things to take note of. If you and I actually believe what these verses are telling us, that sin dwells in us, that should make us live differently in very concrete, specific ways. Let me give you an example. Have you ever gone to dinner or lunch with someone who has like intense food allergies? Do you, do you, if, if you don't have food allergies, you realize you two are having two different experiences at that moment. You're sitting down to have a meal, before they can have a bite, they're checking out to see, am I going to live? And so literally, they're asking, can I talk to the chef? Where's the source? Where's the ingredients at? And because they know one bite of the wrong thing could actually just, like, send them to the hospital. They know they carry this thing inside of them, this allergic reaction to certain things. And so they live carefully. If you and I believe that sin dwells in us, that should change how we live. That should change the places we go to and how we enter into them. I'll give you an example. There's certain conversations I can't engage in because I know how sin dwells in me. And so certain things will trigger me and I will say things that later on I'll regret. So if I know there's certain people in my life I know, they like to talk about these things, like to get into them, I avoid them. I keep it real, real curt, real sweet. Hey, how's it going? Phew, because I can't be there. Because if I'm there, I know what it's going to trigger inside of me. I know the sin that dwells in me. So as we're thinking through this, if you're carrying this propensity for sin, it dwells in you, how does it change how you relate to your daily life? 
Where should you be going? Where should you not be going? And if you go in those places, how do you go prepared to navigate the very potential that this thing is going to try to kill you? Other thing to think through. If you and I have these two natures at war inside of us, what would it look like to normalize struggle versus shaming ourselves for struggle? So many of us shame ourselves. We beat ourselves up because we haven't experienced, we experience exactly what this verse is telling us. We shame ourselves for wanting to do evil, for wanting to sin, for wanting to go against God's will. Yet it's saying this is absolutely normal. Imagine the energy we would not have to spend in being shocked and surprised all the time if we're just honest and say, this is normal. In fact, let me say it this way. If you are not experiencing these tensions, that should concern you. That should actually, wait a second. I'm not experiencing these tensions of like, I want to do wrong, but, but, but yet I want to do right and, and all these struggles. Because if you're not experiencing those tensions, it means one of those two natures has become muted. And more than likely, the one that's muted is the one that wants to follow God. And if that is muted, that's something to pay attention to. Saying, God, how come I'm not desiring to do what's right like I used to? What's going on here? Let's normalize struggle and not shame ourselves for struggling. And lastly, if you and I are not our sin, if our sin is not who we are, that we are distinct, what would it look like for you and I to begin to learn and keep learning the ways that God seeks to love us even when we sin? What would it look like for us to learn that God doesn't see us as our sin or through the lens of our sin? He sees us as his children. And to not confuse, yes, he has anger towards sin, but he will always have love toward us. Imagine how that could change your prayer life and the way you, you spend time with God and the way you live throughout your daily life, knowing God does not see me and my sin is the same thing. Didn't see you and your struggle as the same thing. He sees you as his child, and he sees sin as sin. The freedom that comes when we let that settle in. At this time, as I invite the worship team to come forward, could I invite us to stand? And as we stand, I want to ask if we could just spend a few moments in reflection before the Lord to let these things sink in just for a moment. My prayer is that throughout this week and the weeks to come, that these truths would sink in more and more, that God would take his word and just like drill it deeper into our hearts, to the depths of our hearts. But even now, in these few moments, would love to just take a moment to pray that these things might sink in. So can I, as you stand, can I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment? And as we prepare to respond in prayer and in worship in just a moment, let's just sit with what we've heard today from Scripture. Let's sit with the truth that sin dwells in us. That it's there. It's in our members. It's in our body. 
It's always there. And allow God to free us from the thought or, or the misguided thought that sin is something that visits us, that shows up and it's gone. But actually, no, what it would, it's always there. So what would it look like for us to live differently in light of that? What would it look like for us to name the fact that we have these two natures inside of us that are at war with each other? To normalize struggle. To not beat ourselves up when we struggle. And lastly, that God's eyes on, on us always filled with love always filled with grace that he's never looked at you and I without grace and love in his eyes because he doesn't look at us the way he looks at sin because we're not sin we're completely distinct from him Jesus let these things sink into our hearts respond in prayer at this time the prayer team is going to be in the back to my right and your left and during any moment as we're praying as we're responding you can get up out of your seat and go and receive prayer for anything you need prayer for the words that were shared earlier for anything that the message might have stirred for you or anything that came on your heart this morning let's let's receive prayer in the ways that we need it Let's respond to God in these next few moments.